You guys know we've been talking about, um, uh, we talked about, excuse me, the Passover last week and I told you we wanted to talk about communion this morning and how the two are, are, are tied together. Why do we do communion? Uh, usually we do it here at House of Prayer on the last Sunday of each month. Um, but why are we doing that? Um, what does it mean? And so we want to just talk about it a little bit. One of the things that we see in the scripture in Acts chapter 2 um, after Pentecost, when the believers received the Holy Spirit and Peter preached a powerful message and many, many people were coming to uh, know the Lord, it says that the, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and the prayers. And so, including that breaking of bread would be just gathering together for meals, but it would also include the Lord's Supper. So, if they devoted themselves to it, what, is it, what does it mean? Why are we doing it today? So um, we're going to, uh, like I said, we looked at the Passover uh, last week. We're going to look at another Old Testament sacrifice this morning and then end up uh, talking about communion and how do these sacrifices prepare us for communion. Um, when we take communion, how should we prepare ourselves for that and, and, and what does it mean? So let's pray together and then we're going to look at the word. Heavenly Father... Uh, this is one of the things that you, you told us to do. Um, the last thing, one of the last things you told the disciples to do was to, uh, when they came together, to break bread, uh, to, to drink juice, and to remember what you had done for them. And so, Lord, we're going to look at that this morning and ask that you would help us to understand it as we look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament. Uh, Lord, give us, give us understanding, give us insight. Help us to see how this uh, can help us to follow you more closely, help us depend on you more, clo uh, more dearly, um, and that we just put our complete faith and trust in you, not just for salvation, but for our day-to-day -day living. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would reveal truth to us this morning, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So, a, a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday, we talked about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and, and the people were celebrating, and they were talking. It, could this be the Messiah? Others were saying, this is the Messiah, and others were, and, and were excited about it, and others thought, if this is the Messiah, we're going to kill him. There was, a, there was a lot of tension in the city. Um, there was a lot of talk over who Jesus was. Uh, we, we talked about that. Um, we, we discussed that during that time, while Jesus was uh, arriving and he was doing teaching, he went into the temple and threw out the money changers. It was also significant time just in the city and in the culture for the Jewish people because they were preparing for Passover. So they, all the, the families had picked out a lamb and they had kept it with them for the week and they were preparing to sacrifice the Passover lamb uh, to, to celebrate the Passover meal together. And so this was kind of the, this is the setting of the week, a lot going on in the city of Jerusalem. And, and we're gonna look at Luke chapter 22. And uh, a, little, uh, a little bit of this is just a review of what we've, what we've been talking about, and then we'll look at the, um, the, the Last Supper, as it's called. And so Luke chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is, would be, be synonymous with the Passover, uh, Passover meal, would start the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then they would, they would observe that feast for the next seven days. Um, so as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as Passover drew near, uh, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. 
he went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Judas scheming to betray Jesus. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepare it there. When they went and found it, just as he had told them, they prepared the Passover. All right, so uh, we've been been talking about this uh, scene for uh, several weeks now. Um, The Passover lambs were selected earlier in the week. Uh, They were brought into the homes. They were to be sacrificed on the day of the Passover. We see here this morning that Judas had had gone to the chief priests and the Pharisees and he'd made a deal to uh, betray Jesus. And he would look for an opportunity where the crowds weren't large, we could kind of do it quietly and and get away with it. And if we were to read the account in, in the book of John, chapter 13 through 17, we'd get a really good idea of what's happening on that Passover day. And we see Jesus, um, when they got to the, to the upper room, he washed their feet. He taught them um, about depending on him for all things. He talked about the Holy Spirit that was to come. Uh, chapter 17, there's a lengthy prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then they had the meal together. And we talked about the Passover meal last week. This was a meal that the, the Israelites had celebrated for generations. It was to remind them of the great deliverance that God had given them when they were enslaved in Egypt. And, and uh, there were a series of 10 plagues, and the 10th plague was the uh, most severe. And this plague, the firstborn of every family, uh, human, animal, they were all going to be killed at midnight. So let me ask, I didn't ask this last week, how many firstborns do we have here this morning? That's quite a few. Every firstborn was going to be killed unless they brought a Passover lamb into their house, killed it, and put blood on the doorposts to represent that they, in faith, they had been obedient to God. For families that had done that, then the firstborn would be spared. So God said, you're gonna remember what I did for you on this day by celebrating a Passover meal every year on the first month of the year. Uh, and so it wasn't, it wasn't a small celebration. And so Jer- the city of Jerusalem, historians tell us that during these festival times, the city of Jerusalem would just be bustling, just be full of people. And one of the uh, traditions or things that had changed was in Jesus' day, or in, in Exodus, we see that the lamb was brought into the home and sacrificed in the home. But by the time Jesus came along, the Passover sacrifices were done at the temple. And so I I believe Josephus said that up to 250,000 lambs 
would be killed during the Passover time. So Herod's temple, as they've, as they've uh, looked at historical documents, they see that there, there was a drainage system in the design of the temple so that blood from the festivals, particularly the Passover, had a place to go. And uh, they, they, the Kidron Brook and the Kidron Valley would run red during the, the Passover time. So you just imagine if you were in the city at that time, the people with their, with their you know, I don't know how it worked, but I just imagine coming in this way, you know, leading their goat, and then coming out this way, you know, with it over their shoulder, and, and, the, and the blood, and the, the noises, and the, there, was, there was a lot going on on this Passover day. Nobody was unaware of what was going on. Like everybody knew, even as a young child, you would know something was going on. You'd be asking questions. Why is this happening? Why are they doing this? What is going on? And so this communication about God's provision and God's protection would be passed on from generation to generation. This idea that the the Israelites could not save themselves. There was nothing they could do except kill the lamb, put the blood on the post, and trust in faith that God would do what he said he was going to do. So this is the, this is the, this is the scene, and, and Jesus sent Peter and John to, to, to prepare, and um, they, they held the Passover that night. So I want to talk a, a minute, though, before we go to the upper room and, this, and look at what Jesus said to his disciples, I want to talk about another Old Testament sacrifice, and this was called the sin offering. Um, and uh, just like the Passover was instituted pointing people to Jesus, the sin offering also pointed people to Jesus. So after the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, they got the Ten Commandments, they got the law, um, a system of, of law and order and sacrifices was instituted uh, for the people of Israel. And one of those um, sacrifices that they were required to give was called the sin offering. And this offering was given every morning. It was the daily sacrifice. Every morning and every evening, a lamb would be brought in and would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And in addition to that, if you, if you unintentionally broke one of the laws or, or you were kind of living life and realized, oh my goodness, I haven't been doing these things that I was supposed to be doing, you would also bring a lamb to the priest to be sacrificed as a sin offering. And then also they had another uh, uh, feast day or uh, festival, it was called the Day of Atonement, where some special sin offerings were given for the sins of the people. And so Leviticus chapter four kind of lays out for us what the, how the sin offering was to go, and different things were sacrificed for, for different occasions, but we're gonna look at just one of them, and this is if some, one of the common people. Leviticus chapter four, verses 27 through 31. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any, of these, any one of these things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he committed is made known to him, he didn't realize it, but someone told him, then he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for the sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his fingers and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering 
and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat shall be removed as the fat is removed for the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And listen to this. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. So this is a sin offering that every Jewish person would be aware of. They were, it was sacrificed every day in the temple. It was, if you committed um, an unintentional sin or you neglected to follow the Lord's laws, you would bring a sin offering for yourself. And then of course there was the day of atonement. So the, the, the lamb would be brought and the guilty person would put, put their hands on the head of the lamb to signify that the, the sin that I had committed was being transferred to the lamb and then the priest would slit the throat of the lamb, signifying that the lamb paid the price for the sins that, that I had laid my hands on his head for. Very graphic. You know, like really in your face that there wasn't anything I could do for my sin except bring this lamb and put my hands on his head and say, Lord, I put my faith and trust in you that this is gonna, this is gonna cover my sin. So you can imagine that, that this growing up in this culture that the, the, the Israelites had this keen awareness because of the sin offering and because of uh, festivals like Passover. Um, they, they knew intrinsically what the writer of Hebrews said when he said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Um, a, a pastor named Skip, I believe it's, you say, Heitzig, uh, in New Mexico, he made this observation. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they needed a, they needed a covering. We talked about that. The fig's leaves weren't enough. And so uh, the, the Bible doesn't specify, but probably a lamb was killed to give them clothes to cover them because they were naked. So probably one lamb for the two of them, maybe one lamb for each of them to provide the clothes. And then he said at the Passover, and we talked about this, one lamb was killed for, to cover for a whole family. And he said later in their history with the sin offering and on the day of atonement, a lamb would be killed for the sins of the nation. And then John the Baptist when Jesus came to him, said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus was the promised Messiah. People knew that he was special. Some believed that he was, some believed that he didn't. Uh, the religious leaders hated him because I think in their hearts they knew that he was. But listen to what the prophet Isaiah said um, about this suffering servant describing the Messiah that was to come. Isaiah 53, verses five, uh, excuse me, I don't know what I give you, Craig. I'm gonna read four, five, and six. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Just like the, the old, in the Old Testament when they put their hands on that lamb to signify the transfer of sin, Isaiah says, that the Messiah would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our trans transgressions. We, we put our transgressions onto him. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was the Passover lamb. In in Egypt, God saw the blood on the doorpost and he was satisfied. In, In Jesus, he sees Jesus' blood shed for you, shed for me, and he was satisfied. But Jesus was also our atoning sacrifice, our sin offering. The ancient Israelite would lay their hands on the head of the sheep before it was killed, transferring the sin and the guilt to the sheep, leaving the Israelite free to go. Jesus took our sin on him. Peter tells us, we've looked at this when we studied 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus took on our sin. We were the ones that deserved to be punished, and yet he said, I'll bear their sins in their place. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he said this, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, in that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The verse is describing what's called substitutional atonement. Jesus took our place to pay for our sins. Our sin was transferred to him and his righteousness was transferred to us. the, The verse says, God made him to be sin. God treated and looked at Jesus as if he was the one who had sinned and he looks at us as, as if we are the ones that are righteous. There is a substitution. The lambs in the Old Testament system, they were the substitute. More sin meant more lambs were needed. But the Bible teaches that Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. He doesn't have to be killed over and over again. We don't have to look to another one to save us. Jesus is the one that saves us. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses, starting in verse 11 through 14, and it, there's a contrast here. It says, every priest, talking about an Old Testament priest, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Covers the sin, but doesn't take it away. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He was done. It is finished, he said, when he was on the cross. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Listen to verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus died one Death and it covered all the sins, past, present, and, f- and uh, future. So we're looking at this this morning, we're seeing the depth and the richness in Scripture. You know, the Old Testament isn't just some collection of strange laws and rituals and, and practices, and then uh, it, whatever it was, it didn't work, so God sent Jesus. No, we see Jesus from the very beginning of the Old Testament. This was the plan that God had for us all along, was to send Jesus to pay for our sins. So we're talking about these things because we're reminding ourselves about things that the the Jewish person in Jesus' day, they would just know. Like they knew these things in and out. They They had witnessed, they'd watched, they'd observed. 
brought their own lambs to be sacrificed because of their sins. And so they're very familiar with all of these things. And so as we kind of set our mind into a first century Jewish culture, let's, let's look at the upper room. Peter and John had gone, they had prepared it just like Jesus asked them to. We'll go back to Luke uh, chapter 22. Um, this is the biggest celebration of the year. They're sitting down to remember as God had commanded them to do, to remember what he had done. Uh, probably the closest equivalent for us is maybe Thanksgiving where we, families get together. It's a family holiday. Families are together and we're, we're being thankful for what we had done. So we're all together. We, you know, we go and get the turkey and thankfully somebody else butchers that for us, plucks it. It's all ready to go. So here, here they are, Passover meal, biggest celebration of the year. And Jesus says to his disciples, he's about to change everything for them. He says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. This is starting in verse 14. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This, this meal, this celebration that God says you are to eat every year to remember what I did for you. Jesus said, I'm not going to eat it again. And he took the cup and when he had uh, given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, excuse me, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We don't usually read these verses during communion, but I'm going to read them this morning. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes at it as it has been determined. This was the plan. This wasn't just something they were coming up with. This had been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another with which of them it could be that was going to do this. So Jesus sat down with them. If you're reading in the, in the King James Version, Jesus says, I have desired with desire to eat this meal with you. Jesus wanted to be there on this special night. He knew what was coming, of course, the next day, but he also was going to communicate something significant and important to him. And he, he, didn't really, uh, he, did, he didn't really have a lot of words for him that night, or at least not a lot of words were recorded. If we go to, to like I said, John 13 through 17, we see he has a, a long series of teaching. Uh, but when he says, I just, I have eagerly desired to be here, and this is what uh, Jesus wants to tell them. From now on, when you gather, when you break bread and you drink the cup, I want you to remember me. Now think about that. For generations, they had gathered on that day to remember God's deliverance in Egypt. And, and Jesus said, from now on, I want you to, when you break bread and when you drink, I want you to remember me. It seems like just a few casual sentences, but it was extremely significant. The, the disciples were 
uh, quote unquote, good Jewish men. They followed the laws, they followed, they went to the festivals, they uh, practiced the, the, the rites, they took sacrifices, they were, they were doing all the things they were supposed to do. And Jesus said, uh, and you would almost miss it if you, if you weren't in the mindset of these Jewish men who were aware of this covenant that God had given to uh, first Abraham and then Moses, renewed with David. Jesus says, this cup represents a new covenant. A new covenant in my blood. Not the lamb's blood, but in my blood. And so um, there, was, there was a great significance in what Jesus said. Their, their way of thinking, their life, their, their religion was about to be turned upside down with the next day when Jesus died on the cross. And the, and the truth is for us, when we come to the realization that Jesus died on the cross for, when I realize he died on the cross for my sins, when you realize that he died on the cross for your sins, it should turn our world upside down. You know, we, we live in a world where we can make up for anything. At least we think so, right? Um, you, you know, you, you do something wrong, you don't get it right, you just work harder. If you're watching uh, the football game, right, and the quarterback throws to the wide receiver and he drops it, and they're like, oh man, he should have had that. that, you know, that was his fault. And then a few plays later in the series, that same receiver catches the touchdown. What does the commentator say? Well, he sure made up for that drop pass right there, didn't he? Right? Um, guys, when you, when you mess up with your wife or, or your girlfriend, what do you do? What should you do, right? <laughs> Flowers, chocolate, a card. You, you bring these home and what are you hoping to do with them? You know, make up for the blunder, whatever, whatever it is that it was. Um, you make a, a mistake at work, what do you do? You, you stay later. You know, you, you, uh, you make an adjustment, you give them a discount on the invoice to make up for what you, what, where you fell short, for what you didn't uh, do right. And we take that same attitude to God. We say, well, um, I can fix it. We can, make up, we can make up to God when we don't do right. We can volunteer more, we can pray more, we can uh, read our Bible more, we can good, do good deeds for the, for the neighbor, we can come to church and join the Connections team, we can sign up to help with camp. We can do a lot of things and we think, man, we can fix this. And the Bible teaches us that no, we can't fix it. The, the Old Testament saints learned that they couldn't fix it. They had to bring a lamb and transfer their guilt onto the lamb that was killed before their eyes. And, and today we understand we can't fix it, but Jesus can fix it. And so we put our faith and trust in Jesus because he can fix what we can't fix. And so Jesus' death on the cross instituted a new covenant. We're not bringing the lambs anymore. Anybody ever brought a lamb to be sacrificed? Probably not. But we do place our faith and trust in the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. The past sins, our sins we're gonna commit today, the sins that we'll commit in the future. So as Jesus ate that last meal with them, he said, look, I want you to remember me. And specifically, he didn't spell it out for him because that was Jesus' way. He didn't always 
give all the details uh, in the moment, but sometimes they just had to wait to see what was going to happen. But Jesus knew he was going to the cross to pay for their sins, and he wanted them to remember that. He wants us to remember we can't fix anything on our own. We can fix a lot of things on our own, all right? Guys, I'm a guy, okay? I don't want to let go of that. But when it comes to sin, I can't fix any of that on my own. We need Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is why we take communion, is to remember that we are putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us, not what we can do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through him. And so we do this. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we take communion to remember what Jesus did for us. When we come to take communion, we should also examine ourselves. And typically, when we take communion on Sunday morning, uh, I'll, you know, I'll remind us we should remember what Jesus did. That's kind, of a, that's kind of the first thing we think about with communion. But Scripture says we should also examine ourselves. Uh, partly that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we're not specifically told here in these verses what this unworthy manner is. There's some general instructions that Paul was giving to the church in Corinth at that time uh, that they weren't taking the meal correctly. Some were um, getting drunk on the wine. Others were... Uh, going hungry because there was no bread left. And so there were some, there were some things there that they were working at. Um, but think about, we, we take communion to remember the most selfless sacrifice in the history of the world. When Jesus went to the cross, the perfect person went to the cross to pay for the sins of sinful people like you and me. You know, this is a life and death truth. The cross separates eternal life from eternal death. Jesus came because he knew that our sins separated us from God, and he came to restore that broken relationship. So it makes sense then that really any sin in our life, because sin separates us from God, even as for, uh, for an unbeliever, Your sin separates you from God. There's no relationship with God because of your sin until you put your faith and trust in Jesus. For the believer, when we have undealt with sin, unconfessed sin, then it puts a a bit of a wedge between us. Our, Our fellowship with the Lord is not the same as it is when we have confessed our sin. And so we need to confess our sin to God. Sometimes we need to make amends with another person before we take communion together. But there's, I think there's more to it than just this idea um, that we see in Corinthians. We can look in the upper room and see why we need to confess our sin before we partake of communion. Think about this, Jesus and his 12 disciples. 12 includes Judas, which means as they came together for that time together, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus prayed for Judas. Jesus served Judas dinner. All the while, Judas was sitting there actively planning and preparing 
to turn Jesus over to the authorities. And he just sat there and ate with them like it was any other night. He let Jesus wash his feet. He let Jesus serve him. And in his mind, he's scheming. How can I turn this man over to be killed? So John, in, his, in, his, um, in the Gospel of John, records it this way, that when they were eating the meal, uh, Jesus turned to Judas and said, what you are going to do, do quickly. Jesus knew that Judas was scheming against him. And, and finally, at some point in the night as they were eating, he looked at Judas and just said, just go do it. I know you're faking it. You know you're faking it. Just go do what you're going to do. Nobody wants to be like Judas, do they? Like nobody names their kid Judas anymore, do they? The scripture says don't take the cup in an unworthy manner. Don't sit here this morning knowing that you're planning to sin this week. You know, don't sit here this morning preparing to take communion knowing that you've got things that you haven't dealt with. And I'm not saying, like, not every circumstance in your life can be perfectly dealt with before you arrive on a Sunday morning to partake in communion. But there's, a, there's this idea that an unworthy manner would be, I don't have to deal with that. Nobody knows about that. I'm just going to leave that. I don't have to deal with it. A lot of us, probably just about everyone's dealing with some sort of life situation where we're working, we're in process and we're working through. I'm not talking about you have to be perfect to take communion, but if you're sitting here just ignoring sin and saying it doesn't matter, Scripture says it does matter and we should examine ourselves. We need to remember what Jesus did for us. We need to examine ourselves. Are we ready to partake in this communion together this morning? But then also with communion, we're looking forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul's continuing to give instructions in verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there's this sense as we take communion this morning that we're going to do this until Jesus comes. Right? Either until we pass into, into heaven and be with him or he comes to take us home, we're going to do this. We're going to remind ourselves of what he did uh, and we're going to ha- remind ourselves of the hope that we have to come. Jesus had told his disciples, look, I'm not going to eat this cup. I'm not going to um, have this meal again until we do it, until the kingdom of God comes. So it indicates he's going to do it again. And scripture's not, I can't give you a chapter and verse that describes this, um, uh, this great banquet that's to come, but there's kind of hints at it throughout scriptures that there's, there's going to be a great feast when we get to heaven uh, that we will enjoy with our Savior. Isaiah 25 verse 6, uh, God is describing it and, and he says, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of meat, Marrow and refined aged wine. There's going to be a banquet one day that we're going to have with our Savior. We're going to be with him forever. He's preparing a place for us. We have hope for the future. And so we think about that as we come together for communion. There should be a bit of a a weight in the room as we remember that Jesus Jesus is the way. 
that Jesus' sacrifice paid for our sin. There's a, a seriousness in the room because we, are, we should be dealing with sin that's not been dealt with. We should be confessing sin to the Lord that we have not uh, dealt with. I'd, in a perfect world, we deal with this on, on Saturday or Friday or Thursday. But if, there's, if you're here this morning and think, man, I, this is, I've got something I haven't really dealt with, you can confess that to the Lord, make a commitment to take care of that later today or tomorrow or this week. But there's also should be hope in the room because we know that one day we're going to enjoy a meal with our Savior in heaven. And that'll be a glorious day. So we're going we're gonna to take communion. You can find, find your cup. We're going to do this together this morning. If, you, if there's still someone here that doesn't have one, throw your hand up. Uh, there's definitely a few at the back there over here. And we'll make sure that you've got one uh, right up front. Thank you guys for uh, taking care of this each week for us. So as we prepare this morning to take communion, we want to remember. We remind ourselves that we are sinners in need of a savior, that our very best efforts will always fall short, but God knew that and he sent his son. His death was necessary for you, for me. Jesus went willingly to the cross knowing that it, that it needed to be done. But we also examine ourselves. Our sin separates us from God. The unbeliever permanently, and you can just simply this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, you can just say, yeah, God, I, I hear what Pastor Jeff is saying and he's right, I'm a sinner. There's not anyone in this room that could say, no, he's wrong on that one. He's right about a lot of things, but he's wrong about that. I've never sinned. There's nobody that can say that. And if you've never said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus, death on the cross to pay for my sins. I need Jesus to be the substitute for me. You could do that this morning. You just say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and and that he rose again on the third day and that brings you into the family of God. For the believer, we just confess our sin. Say, God, I've done wrong. Thank you for forgiving me. But we also look forward as we get ready to take this. Jesus will come again and take his church to be with him. And we have that to be thankful for. We have that to look forward to. in um, the song this morning, the, the one lyric said, the Lord hath promised good to me, his word my hope secures. We have hope because his word tells us we have hope. We have much to be thankful for. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful this morning that you, that you came willingly to die in my place. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to pay for my sins with death, but I also believe that Jesus came that I might have life. Lord, I'm thankful that uh, Jesus came that each one of us here this morning could have life. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that's never trusted in you, that you paid for their sins, that they would, they would do that this morning. They would just, uh, just acknowledge that just quietly to themselves and confess that they're a sinner. 
in need of a savior. Lord, I pray that each one of us would examine ourselves. I'm just gonna pause uh, from, from talking so that you can do that. Lord, I'm just gonna stop so that we can all just uh, say a prayer confession if it's necessary. You know what you need to say to the Lord. that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I'm thankful for the hope that we have of a future with you. I'm thankful for your sacrifice. Lord, thank you for desiring a relationship with each one of us. Thank you for your son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.